Yo, what's good, everybody? Back once again here with Raise Your Boys, two really dope dudes, Father Freshest in the building. What's I good, man? Change my name on this joint. I know, man. I know. I know, man. How you been, man? Yo, man, whirlwind of a week for real. Um, so this week I had to, well, I, I hired a new person to our team at work and I had to, to uh, give two people the news that they didn't get the, uh, the job. But what was interesting about it was one of these guys that had interviewed, they had already anointed him as the one to get the job. And then this girl that was internal, like came like a dark horse, man, and just blew everybody out of the water. And wow. so, so, yeah, so I, so I, uh, so I hired her, but that, but that whole experience, it, I can unpack that a little bit more, but it, it was definitely interesting. But um, other than that, man, I spent some of the time last week in San Antonio, got back on Monday and then spent the work week here. So been low key. Yeah, man. Man, praise God you're alive, man, and healthy, but that's the way the corporate world goes, man. You know, it's crazy out there. Yeah, 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 for sure, man. So COVID is on the rise again, I see. Yo, you know, and you know what's crazy about it is that it's all the southern red states, all the states that prematurely open, it's it's on the rise. Houston poor leadership. Yo, poor leadership. poor leadership, exactly. Houston is nuts right now, man. They're running out of beds in the hospitals. But but people are saying that wearing a mask is encroaching upon their uh, freedoms. So they don't think that they should be mandate, mandated to wear uh, masks, but yet here we are. Yo, wearing, not wearing a mask is encroaching on my freedom. You know <laughs> it's like, it's like you not wearing a mask is putting me at risk. Like, like I want you to get your mind wrapped around that. That's the thing. It's like, so my wife and I were having a conversation about, um, I think it was it was directed a, t toward. Do you think we have like too many freedoms in the U.S. And so sometimes, like so, you know, like certain countries, the government say you can't do this, you can't do it. Like if you're in Russia and the government tell you you're not going to do something, you're not going to do it, right? right? But here it's like, well, this is what we want you to do, but it's kind of up to you. You don't really have to do it, but it would be nice if you do. And then boom, pandemic. Right. So I wonder. I wonder if it's um, if there's such a thing as too free. Yeah. You know what, man? That's a good. That's a good question, man. I think there is something as it can be something as in being too free, um, and like people that. So let's use an example, like you're saying, people not wearing the mask. You need to be. Uh, tried or arrested or reprimanded let me use that word reprimanded for not obeying a mandate like you know it's almost like you you got so much privilege and you got so much freedom mm -hmm. that you don't even care about the people that are around you and how you may affect them and what your what your um you know what what your actions may do to somebody else. So I think, yeah, they can't be something as much as too much freedom. Maybe we do it like uh, if you're, if you, you know how you get, t you know, citations for jaywalking or something stupid like that. Maybe, maybe we start doing stuff like that. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Still, and even up until today, even though the mandate went into effect and they're telling people you have to be in public with masks, there were people still out today that didn't have masks on. So I don't know what it's going to take, but. Here we are. Yo, man, it's not just um, 
And so like, this is what I see, man. When I go out and I'm on this on the street and I'm doing stuff, or if I go to like a restaurant to pick food up, man, all I see are like black people trying, right? Like trying to wear their masks. I'm seeing white folk, man. Some white folk just out there, just, I mean, just frolicking and just talking and in each other's spaces and like they acting like Rona still ain't here, man. And so you know, those, those are the kind of things that come with privilege, that come with this whole concept of I don't have to do what you say and I'm going to just live my life. But now we're facing the repercussions. And, you know, New York is doing good. And now right. we see what's happening down here in Texas. And New York, you know, Governor Cuomo was pretty stringent, like, yo, y'all got to stay indoors. You know, we locking the city down. And for the most part, I think people listen, which is why I think that they're like the haven now where it's like they're pretty much at the lowest uh, COVID rates, you know, you know, the United States wide. So I don't know when these Southern states are gonna, you know, gonna get it, but I don't yeah. know, I'm not sending my kids into, into nobody's school during this time. I'm not going into nobody's office. I'm not doing any of it, I'm staying home. Nah, man, as long as, you know, man, the problem with the Southern states is this, is that because they're Republican and then you have Trump who's like pushing the agenda to open up. So they have to go along with what he says instead of being like, you know what? You wrong. We're not going to do this. But they they play that little game. And they don't want to be called names. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want a nickname from Trump. Exactly. His Trump, Trump he is, he's the illest when it comes to these nicknames. And so they don't want one. So yeah. <laughs> they don't want that smoke, yo. They don't want that smoke. So, bro, man, last week we talked about defunding the police, man. Right. And it's crazy how this video came out. And I think, man, it proves to the point in regards to why we need to defund the police. So I'm gonna play it real quick and we'll- We turn out of this story. Tonight, three Wilmington, North Carolina police officers have been fired after a routine audit of a patrol car camera uncovered what authorities describe as extremely racist comments toward African-Americans. Here's CBS's Jeff Pegues. An internal probe by the Wilmington Police Department reveals hate-filled conversations with three veteran officers. Officer Kevin Piner is heard telling Corporal Jesse Moore that the protests would soon lead to a civil war and that he is ready. He goes on to tell Moore that he was going to buy a new assault rifle and soon we are just going to go out and start slaughtering them expletive n-words. Piner says a civil war is needed to wipe them off the expletive map. That'll put them back about four or five generations. Later, during a phone call with Piner, Moore refers to a woman he arrested as the N-word and says she needed a bullet in her head right then. Donnie Williams is the department's new police chief. He fired the officers on his first day. When you talk about killing people and generations of people, that is disturbing. According to investigators, the officers blame their comments on the stress of today's climate in law enforcement. CBS News has reached out to the police union and the three officers for comment. So far, they haven't responded. Jeff Begay's CBS News, Washington. Yeah, man. So do we need to talk about defunding the police anymore? Like, yo, dude, dudes out here antagonizing the black community with comments about we about to start a civil war and the only way to get rid of them is if y'all, you know, I gotta go get, I gotta go load up some ammo and take them out. I think what, what you heard on that video, the, the text of the transcript of what they said, the only reason why it's, it's such a big story is because 
somehow, some way, they were able to uncover those tapes. That rhetoric is common practice. It's not a one-off. It's not a. It's not a. Uh, they're not unicorns in the police in, in, in the police force. And I always keep hearing about yo. It's just these few bad apples, and it's these few bad apples. I bet you he would have never said something like that to his counterpart that was black. Right. Right. Because black cops aren't talking like that. Right. So the the culture itself, and that's why when we say defunding police, it's not saying we don't want policing, but the construct of how it is set up today has to be eradicated and changed or else you're going to keep having guys like that on the loose. And these are the people that are that are policing our communities. Yeah. These are the guys that I, I may encounter in the traffic stop, a guy that I may, you know, and he already came to the situation, already escalated in a mindset, ready to do something to me. So while people may sit up here and keep talking about blue lives and this and that, and how dare we talk about, you know, defunding police, that's why. Exactly, man. Exactly. Like, I can't, I, I don't have the luxury of having a routine pullover or, or, or to just be like, yo, I'm getting pulled over because maybe I was speeding or taillight was broken. My pullover is a traumatic experience when a cop is walking up from his car to my driver's seat window. And then his homeboy is coming around the other side and flashing his light inside of my car. Man, I'm nervous. And so if you have a cop that has like that kind of thinking and I get nervous and I jump, man, what do you expect? You know, it's like the thing with George Floyd. It's like, yo, you got your knee on his neck. He's moving because he's 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 all uncomfortable. Reaction is a natural reaction. Yeah, you telling them don't move. You got me in a vice grip. I I don't want to die. And then he and then he, and then he dies. So you want a losing situation, no matter what you do. Listen, my driver's license, insurance, my car, my record is in immaculate condition. Yeah, the feeling I get when I see red and blue lights. I feel like I just robbed a bank or I just committed murder and I'm on a run. Yeah. They don't even have to be coming after me for me to feel that way. They could be passing by and my heart rate paces up. Yeah. That's the black experience. That's what, and, and that's, that has a direct tie to our experiences with police. So you, if you are still fighting for the same construct to remain in place, basically saying that you're in favor of these slave hunters because yeah. that's exactly what they are. Yeah, man. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if the system is working for you, you don't even care if it's not working for somebody else. you like, it's not my my sons aren't dying. My daughters ain't dying. So, you know, what's wrong with you? We need that. But, you know, man. Um, and what's sad, too, man, is that this isn't new. You know what I'm saying? Like, this isn't like some new phenomenon, man. Me and you and I'm sure a lot of people that are watching this, we have had encounters with the police that have been unfavorable. That have been um, just straight up whack. I'm fucking use that word. And then like, you know, they continue to prove to the point that they have some uh, implicit bias and that their practices are wrong. So when we say defund the police, it's not simply black people saying, yo, defund the police just to defund them. It's saying defund the police because the system is not working. I think people that fight for institutions that oppress people to stay in place are people that have 
who willingly remain ignorant to the plight of black people and people of color and those that profit or benefit from it. You know what I'm saying? So whenever I hear someone, you know, start talking about why um, they, they support police, and, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't, what I'm saying is, but when you're saying that in contrast to the experiences that we have with police um, and you're trying to support their way of, of policing as it is today, that lets me know that you don't value black lives. You just don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're not listening. You're tone deaf and you only care about yourself. But so, yeah, man, so that that startled me this week. But, man, we got a whole lot more to talk about, man. We got some other stuff to talk about. As you know, Rona is still out here. Yeah. Um, Rona, Rona having her way in these southern states like Arizona, Florida, Texas, um, I think Oklahoma, and um, and it's just been going nuts. But something that jumped out to me last night when I was on, you know, just just on Facebook, and it was this video I saw about water. And man, I'm tripping because I'm, I'm tripping because man, I've only heard about water shortages in other countries right and not in america so i don't know if you want to say something or should we get just jump into the video well i think that uh the fact that you're even referencing shortage of anything yeah in a country as wealthy as this is mind-boggling to me because i think the flint Mich the, the the michigan um you know shortage of water um has been what since 2014, 15 or something around about that time. That's when at least that's when they uncovered the issue. Yeah, yeah, about 16. Yeah. Long before that. And here we are in 2020. And that has not been addressed. So I'm not even gonna be surprised with what I see on this video because I already know it's a mess. Yeah, sit tight, folks. I'm gonna let you see this video and um it's just been it's just absolutely crazy. Hold up. Uh Uh, give me one second. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Oh, man, my video went away, but I'm going to find it right now. You liked it. I did. I was invited to be one of the judges at the Berkeley Springs water tasting contest earlier this year. The ones with the green tops are the Chinese. This one is from Boston. We all kind of take water for granted. I mean, as long as it comes out of your tap, people are happy. Uh, of course, when it doesn't come out of your tap, then there's concern. That's the case in parts of Detroit, Michigan, where since 2014, the city has cut off tap water to over 140,000 accounts because residents can't afford to pay their bills. Then came the coronavirus pandemic. It should not take a crisis of this magnitude, uh, a virus, to, for people to recognize that everybody needs 
uh, and should have affordable water. A few states over in Newark, New Jersey, a city with 285,000 people, tap water is abundant but contaminated. Citywide tests in 2017 found that at least 10% of homes tested in Newark had water lead levels nearly twice the federal standard of 15 parts per billion. The pandemic has made a bad drinking water situation worse. The fact that people don't have clean water to drink frustrates me tremendously. And the fact that you have to wash your hands through this health uh, crisis is even more frustrating because they don't have the resources that they need to take care of themselves. Nearly 30 million Americans drink polluted water every day based on standards set by the Safe Drinking Water Act of 1974. The law monitors about 100 contaminants in water, some that occur naturally and can even be found in the finest bottled water. We've had certain waters that have entered year after year after year, certain waters that have won year after year after year because they have the right balance of minerals, the right balance of trace elements. But water can often pick up good and bad elements as it flows through a maze of pipelines to reach our homes. Like in Flint, Michigan, where old pipes leached lead, making the water undrinkable for its 100,000 residents for years. In other areas of the state, residents have had no access to tap water, even as they've been grappling with the pandemic. You're living in a state that's surrounded by fresh water. You're living in a city that has a major water system and you can't uh, afford water. In Detroit, 9,000 houses did not have any tap water as of January 2020. And data examined by Business Insider shows that the same low-income areas of Detroit that have had their water shut off in recent years are also the areas that are currently seeing more COVID-19 cases. I think the COVID-19 just ex exposed it nationwide. The unconscionable idea of a person living in a household and, and don't have water for sanitation purposes. The average monthly water bill is $77 a month in a city where the median household income is about $26,000 a year. This is not people not wanting to pay their bills. These are Detroiters that are either disabled, unemployed, or the working poor that cannot meet the high increasing cost of water costs in the city of Detroit. At this time, we must take every precaution. As the pandemic started Yo, I wish I could play the whole video, but it also highlights Newark, New Jersey, and it also highlights uh, parts of California. Yo, McDonald, there are people in the midst of this pandemic, and these are poor communities. Detroit is a black city. Newark, New Jersey is a black city. Black people with no water. You still on mute. My bad. Somebody said, you know, uh, Clinton voted for Trump. Wow. I wonder, like, you know, some of these cities, not necessarily, you know, the ones that are like black cities, because we already know that there are no resources that's going to be sent to those those cities. But those cities where that were red, you know, states where people felt like, you know, Trump is coming to save us and he's going to do all these things to help us. I wonder how they feel now. But I think, but what what's also disheartening? Doesn't Michigan have a, a Democratic uh, governor? The, I forget her name, but 
it's it just tells me, you know, that as a nation, where we rank, and not just on the Republican side in terms of I'm talking about Democratic leadership too, where people of color really rank, like what's our what's our level of importance? I just feel like it just seems like everything, as long as it it, it impacts black folk, it's not a priority. Yeah. Something as is, is, is simple as uh, basic necessity is something as simple as breathing, you know, drinking water I would consider is, is, is equivalent. Something that simple isn't being addressed or at least not being addressed at a rate that it should be because you got monies going into other resources and other places and during a pandemic. Right, right. I mean, man, it's crazy. Yes, right. It's exactly what you said during a pandemic that there are households without running water. These households have children in there. You have babies in there that depend on water for their formula. And to know that there are people in office, city council people, and and are aware of this, man. They are aware of the fact that, you know, that there are people with, without water in the midst of this pandemic. And so when we talk about health infrastructure, and like you said, man, when it comes to black people who are dying from COVID-19. We ain't dying from COVID-19 because we're not wearing masks. We're dying from COVID-19 because the infrastructure in America is set up against us. I, I don't I don't know. Like I there was a part of the video where they talked about there are some families that aren't getting resources because they're afraid to ask for resources or, or expose that they don't have running water because if a child is in a house for more than 72 hours, I believe it is, and they don't have running water, that child, the children can be taken away. So it's like a double whammy. It's like, right. if I say I need resources because I can't afford to pay it because it's too expensive, or I just don't have the funds, and I have kids in the house, then there's a potential that my kids can be taken away because the infrastructure is broken. So it's yeah. like a big circle. Yeah, yeah, so you got Detroit Tigers, Detroit Lions, Detroit Wings, all these major Pistons, Detroit Pistons, all these major athletic groups, billionaires own these teams. And then you have a community of people who don't have water. Our priorities in this country, man, are like upside down. It's backwards. But 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 you said it, man. It, it goes back to defund the police and it goes back to this issue, too. You take care of what you value. You show interest in what you care about. Economics. That's right. And right now, what we're witnessing in America, black and brown people have no value. It's, it's, it's frustrating on so many levels because, you know, this country was built on our backs. Yeah. You know, we, we, you know, Ice Cube had a quote this week where he said that, you know, black folks have already paid our tab. We've already paid the price for everything that we have coming to us. Like we should be living debt free, living, you know, rent free, living college tuition free. We should be living pretty much free. Yeah. Because of, the, because of, of how this country was built on our backs. But when you talk about basic resources that should be in place or infrastructures that should be in place, because I guarantee you, you know, in the city where the mass majority is, uh, of the folks are white, if that were happening there, I can guarantee you that the infrastructure would be put in place immediately. They would address it immediately. Absolutely, man. 
absolutely. No, without no hesitation, it wouldn't. Water would not even had had a chance to be brown. You know, that joint. Right. There, there are neighborhoods. If if there's if there's a need for a speed bump, yeah, and their kids are playing in the street and they and they feel like they need a speed bump or a sign that goes up. If they yeah. go to that meeting in the city and they talk to their city council people, that thing happens overnight. You see a construction crew the very next day. Yeah, yeah. What's crazy is that, but but things that are like life impacting are just kind of like, well, you know, we'll get to it when we, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Right. What's crazy is um, I fast forwarded the video, but the beginning of the video is about a, a water tasting competition. And it's like and so when I was watching it, I was like, man, white folk got a lot of time on their hands. Yeah. And they have like no, they have wine tasting. They have water tasting. And here comes that privilege part. It's like you have access to so much water that you can have a water tasting festival. Right. Now, there are people. In, in your same city, in your same city, who don't have water, who have to depend on other other citizens to buy gallon water and drop it off in front of their homes. Which further, so you talk about this already being a pandemic. So which accelerates, you know, the, the health condition of people. They're not necessarily dying from COVID per se, but they're dying from complications that are tied to these things that even make COVID that much more deadlier. So they're already in a compromised position. But again, when things impact us, mm -hmm. there, there's no, there's no, uh, no urgency. There's no sense of urgency. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, well, it ain't us, you know, so we'll, 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 we'll get to it. But yeah. Not that big of a deal. And you're lucky if like a news broadcast, like the one we just showed or, with the deep with the with the police officers if they happen to be caught on camera or on tape that's when the story gets told like i'm sure for the people that are watching this video uh, you know i mean this uh, show a lot of them are sophisticated and smarter than probably you and i they probably knew about this before but there are a whole lot of people that are being shocked to know that there are people who can't turn on the faucet like there's no water coming into coming out of their out of their faucets to if, if, listen if you're not if imagine think of something this simple this is a silly example but think of something this simple you can't flush the toilet oh you can't you can't shower because they're not just turning off the faucet in your kitchen your water shut down period right you can't shower you can't flush the toilet you can't Basic sanitary things can't happen. Right. Right. To put right. it in perspective. Right. And nobody. But again, if this happened in one of the suburbs where, you know, the millionaires and the billionaires, even the middle class white folks or even the, the poor white folks lived, it would be a huge issue. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. man. And so that's why, man, it's important for us to tell our stories and for us to keep keep saying it out loud and hopefully somebody will listen, man. You know, like the other day, uh, this dude came out and with Sean King and, you know, Sean King is that dude. He was talking about uh, taking down white Jesus, that that image of white Jesus needs to come down. Oh, I know, right? No, not my white Jesus, right? But but the reality is, man, both been talking about that for years. Right. You know, like they've been saying like, yo, there's a problem with this image. And so it's interesting how, 
uh, trend start and how things get caught on. It just takes the one person to say it. So I'm hoping that, you know, this video uh, and I'll put the link up to the video so that you can watch it so that we would all just like raise our voice about this issue. Like I'm calling on those folk that I know in Detroit to be like, yo, is this for real, for real? Like, you know, do you have members in your church that don't have water? Like, how is that okay? How are we going to sleep at night knowing that there are residents, not just Detroit, Newark, New Jersey, um, I'm sure probably in Dallas, we got contaminated water. Even in, um, you know, um, California, it's an issue out there as well that people without water, and water's a, water's supposed to be a free natural resource. Well, the, the, the folks at the water tasting uh, convention, you know, prove that it's it's disposable and they don't really, you know, it's not really that big of a deal because they have such a plethora of it. But I think when you start to have a shortage of something that's so crucial, you know, you you tend to put things into perspective. And I mean, I just was looking at the video and I saw the full video and I was just looking at, you know, the people's faces that, that were, you know, being interviewed and talking throughout the video. And I just, it just breaks my heart to know that that's the condition that people actually are living in here in the US. You know, we talk about these third world countries and we talk about, you know, these war inflicted places and poverty stricken places. And this is happening right under our noses. Yeah. Yeah. No like, and, and no one's raising the alarm. Yeah. You have folks like you and I, or maybe some other folks that are like uh, people that are bystanders, but you're talking about government officials that get to keep their job, even though this is happening. Yeah. Everyone that's, that's, that's a part of this, that, that, that's empowered during this time should all be fired. There's no right. way to still have a job. Right. Right. America is a third world country with a Gucci belt on. That's basically what it is. <laughs> it got a big hole. It is ghetto fabulous. It got, a, it got the Gucci joint with the two big G's. Uh, with, with, the, with the shirt tucked in the front. With the shirt tucked in the front. <laughs> it be fronting like it's like, it be fronting like it's like this great, you know, like it takes care of all its citizens, man. But there is a large population of this country that is overlooked and that is stepped on that um that you know that are dying man and 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 this, i don't understand why this isn't on every news outlet every morning to wait to bring that awareness look man i think that's why mediums like this are, are super important conversations like this are super important because they're rel they're relying relying on the fact that we're not we're not we're not going to keep talking about it that this is the trend we'll raise the voice about it you know you know now and then maybe a week or two weeks or a month from now we get tired and we're not going to keep addressing these issues at least that's what they're they're banking on right yeah but but i think that not only in the fact that you know this is a medium where we can bring people in to also join the conversation but the fact that you are, you know, knee deep entrenched in the movement and, and leading the charge, it's it's super crucial. So I, I'm, I'm transitioning because, you know, part of this show, or at least the title of this show is Snow in a Bluff. And, you you know, we, we watched this, uh, we listened to this song. Yeah. This week by J. Cole uh, called Snow in a Bluff. Yeah. You know, the people, are, you know, people on the... Uh, on, on, on that's watching the show if they've heard it and maybe you guys are too holy y'all don't listen to rap music but i do yeah they holy man <laughs> but he had this song where he basically addresses 
his ignorance in terms of, you know, what he should know about, you know, the black plight or, or the wokeness that we should all supposedly have. And it caused a bit of a firestorm. Yeah. And in this song, he basically calls out this, this girl. I think her name, you know, her Twitter name is No Name or something right. like that. Right. And she basically takes issue with these lyrics that he basically is saying, because I think she called him, Kendrick Lamar, and some other people out about not being at the forefront and leading the charge. About a week or so ago, I think you and I had a conversation about whether or not celebrities should be at the forefront using their stage and platform to speak up for us that are voiceless or the people that are voiceless. And I think what we arrived at, or at least what we what we walked away from that conversation was that just because you got a platform don't mean that you're the right spokesperson. Yeah, yeah. Right? So my question to you is, because I look at you as someone as an educator in this space, like you are a thought leader, you got your PhD in this space, you really understand, like you are you are our MLK. You <laughs> has our MLK with a blend of Malcolm, right? <laughs> What do you think about the woke faction um, having a responsibility to teach the not so woke or at least educate the not so woke? Uh, because if you're going to call somebody out about their lack, lack of um, being involved in the movement, but if that person is telling you, well, the reason why I'm not speaking up is because I don't even know what to say. Right, right. What responsibility do the likes of the Jamie Calazars of this world, <laughs> my bad, the <laughs> Jamie Calazars of this world have in educating the, the educating the masses? Yeah, man. So, man, in in defense of J. Cole, man, I truly appreciate his response um, mm -hmm. because he could have went on the attack to that girl, and the reason why I, I say that, I'm saying that that's how they interpreted it, like it was an attack. Well, well, I, well, I was looking at it like this because she attacked him at first, and she was like, you know, your favorite rapper is not out there. They got whole catalogs about black stuff and black this, and what she was wrong about because Cole had been out there, right. marching, and he's just not a public person, you know, to put it out there like, look, I'm a selfie, I'm out here because they got pictures of him and um Dennis Smith Jr. in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Yeah. So you know, um, and so. Going back to the original point, I do think that there's a response. I think, man, there's a responsibility when you have a platform and people listen to you to to be conscious and to be woke and to educate them. Because, man, it's the same reason why Sprite, you know, wants LeBron James in their commercials, because they know LeBron, you're influential. We want kids to drink your Sprite. So I think, man, yeah, it comes with that platform. But then I also take into consideration Yo, if you don't know what to say, I prefer you not say something than to say something that's reckless that will mess a whole bunch of people up. You know what right. I'm saying? So, so it, I'm on both sides of the fence when it comes to that. But I do think that um, celebrities, athletes, um, once you have people following you, I think you always have to keep that in mind to know that you are influential and try to use that influence for the greater good. Because, um, you know, you got... Candace Owens out there saying some reckless stuff for a check and she's got followers that are, you know, listening to her and using that platform uh, for straight up foolishness. So I remember maybe it was like maybe four, three or four years ago that there was like, you know, the, the woke movement was like, 
I mean, they were woke, woke. Yeah. Point where I felt like they ostracized people that weren't on the same wavelength as them. And instead of it being something that recruited more people to get to thinking like that and to be awakened and all this other stuff, it turned people off. Yeah. Like it turned a lot of people off that could have been assets to the movement long ago. But the approach was like, I'm going to demonize you because you don't think the way that I think. And I'm going to demonize you because, you know, you're you're not you're not in sync with 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 the direction that we're going. I'm not. First of all, I'm not a follower. Right. So I'm not going to follow the trend because that's where everybody's going. I need to be educated about it before I take a step. I'm not going to follow blindly. And I thought that that caused I think the, the black power movement could have been a lot more powerful if the messaging, if the education uh, uh, aspect of it to get people in the know of what they need to know in order to like be a part of the movement could have been so much more effective. But I yeah. think that didn't happen. And it's a slow crawl to where they are right now. I mean, it's much more uh, organized uh, organization now. But before it was just kind of like, uh, what, what exactly is y'all's message? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. And and I think, man, the, the power in the collective message. So it's like you can't say one thing and then I'm saying another thing. Mm-hmm. We can say different things, but at the end of the day, we got to make sure that we get into the same destination. Like that's what needs to be uh, coalesced with all these movements. So, you know, like I could take the 20 to your house and then somebody else can take, you know, another highway. But we know that at the end of the day, we're trying to get to your house. Like right now, I think it's important for people to start understanding and start talking about what is defund the police, right? Because like like we like we stated yesterday last week, you got these two narratives out there. You got people talking about defund the police mean get rid of police, right? And they're gonna use that narrative to think that's what people are saying. And so we got to be able to be like, no, that's not what it means. It means divert funding um, for everything that you put in police and put it into people and into communities. So I think that that's what's important is that collective message that we all share and trying to get to the same goal. Not everybody trying to get to the same, get to the same place or you trying to get there before me. You know, at the end of the day, if I get there, you get there, too. And be happy if you get there and I'm just playing, you know, playing the side role. Do you feel like there's a a lack of messaging in terms of what what the goal with the end game is? Like, I know we all want to be free. We all want equity. We all want whatever. But it's like, I don't feel like there's a unified messaging out there for black folks so we all can coalesce around. I just feel like there's a lot of randomness. There's some extreme factions. There's some, you know, uh, you know, moderate factions. And then there are some folks that are just laissez-faire that's, that could care less either way because it doesn't really impact them. Yeah. Like, you feel like there's a lack in messaging? Yeah, I think I think that... That last point you made was true because there's not a lot of black people that want what other black people want. Right. You know, so it's almost like you got a you got one group of black people that are saying, hey, we want this. And another group that's like, we don't want that. And sometimes you don't even know which group is greater than the other. And so that's like the difficult thing. Like they always say, man, the hardest thing to do is to convince people with privilege what it's like not to have privilege. Right. Because once you start moving into another sector or another area of life, you begin to sometimes forget about, you know, the struggle or or those that you left behind or, 
you know, what it was like for you before. So that whole idea, man, of trying to get everybody, I think trying to get everybody on the same message is going to be real difficult. But I also think too, man, that there needs to be room for people to be able to support the movement in different ways. So like, for example, J. Cole, Mm -hmm. he admitted and said, yo, I don't know what to say. Teach me, you know, if I'm not doing it right, but he can, he can support the movement by funding or by giving money to something else or to making sure that we're pushing the agenda together. So I think what, so I think long story short, what I'm trying to say is that we have a collective message, but then we also need to tell people how they can collectively be a part of it and which role they fit in it or how can they help get this message across. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, um, somebody in the comment asked a question that I think we should probably address, like, you know, can you have a movement without like a de facto leader? Mm. Do, you, do you need a leader? Because, you know, during the civil rights movement, yeah, there were a lot of different factions and a lot of different, um, you know, uh, movements within the movement, but there was like a de facto leader, the one that was the spokesperson that had the national stage that spoke on behalf of everyone. Do you think that's still effective or do you think that we all play a part so therefore we don't necessarily need to have one person? Yeah, it's hard, man, because the social media has made everybody a leader, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, prior during the civil rights movement, we didn't have no social media. It was like your Martin Luther Kings, your Malcolm X, mm -hmm. your Stokely Carmichael's or whoever it were. Um, so. So what's happening in social media is like, you know, everybody's an expert and everybody's starting their own thing. Mm -hmm. um, is it good or is it bad? I'm still on the fence with that. I do think that leadership is important. And I think that it's, it's good to be able to listen to somebody that can help direct it. But there's so many different, man, I think like the last, I don't even know how to really answer this question because in some ways I see like, um, the Black Lives Matters movement. It's it's a different, it's different Black Lives Matters groups all over. And the way those women set it up was they wanted it to be like that. They wanted it to be Black Lives Matter for your city. What is it that you need for your city, not for the whole country? That was their intentional move. But then there was also see effectiveness in how Malcolm X would lead like the um the Muslim party or how MLK would lead Christians and all together that everybody was moving towards this. But I think though, that there was always other leaders. There were always more than one person speaking and more than different groups. So there was like the SNCC and the SLCC. And even though they wanted the same thing, they still had their different groups. So, you know, I'm left and right on it in regards mm -hmm. to do we need one leader or do we need multiple leaders? But I am on the page of we do need um a collective voice like we need to be able to get behind one thing and say this is what we're fighting for so i think it was maybe two or three weeks ago we had a you showed a video of this white guy saying that we now we now have the, the world's attention we have the national stage and your man right <laughs> <laughs> we, basically have the, we have the national stage right now. We have the attention of everyone. Like the George Floyd thing, I think, as unfortunate as it was, commanded such an attention right now that we have, right now, I feel like the, 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 the spotlight is on us, 
but I feel like the messaging is so splintered. And so there's there is confusion in communication in terms of what our end game or what we want or you know what it is that we, we're trying to communicate. And so do we lose that by not having that one mouthpiece and having such such a diversification in approach and messaging uh, and movements? Like, does that hinder the does that hinder the cause or does it make it? Yeah, I get that you want to, you know, politics are local and, you know, you want to make sure that you get what you need in your own city and in your own town. But like globally, though, like, is it that we lose messaging when we don't have like a, a, a centralized hub for where the message is coming from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, because it gets lost, right? It gets, um, people get confused because people don't know. So you have people that want to do something, but they don't know what to do and they don't know how to do it. And I think that's where the leader comes in. And that's where, and that's where the, uh, you know, the, the instruction needs to come from that those individuals and not just one person, those individuals. Cause remember like Martin Luther King was a great orator. Like he was just a great speaker, but they had people in the background that were doing the legwork and they just knew like, yo, Martin, you know how to speak, you represent us. So you need that. You need, many leaders, but you need the leaders to know what roles to play and how to get the message across. But Jerry, man, shout out to Jerry uh, and uh, Jeremiah, you know, they kicking some facts in the uh, in the chat room. Right. And this is what scares people from being a leader in this kind of movement. It is the fear of death, man. Yeah. Like anytime there has been, you know, a leader who has been powerful enough to make waves and to turn this world upside down and the government just go out and kill them. You know, they, they they lose their life. Like the last one they said, and I need to read more up on them, is on Fred Hampton. You know, and mm -hmm. JC says, I died on the day Fred, you know, I was born on the day Fred Hampton died. Right. They say, man, Fred Hampton was such a powerful speaker, man, that blacks, whites, Latinos, everybody were listening to him. what they do, man? Bust up in his house and unload it on him while his wife was in the bed with him and his family, man. So it's like, you know, you want to step up, but you also fearful of these uh, white supremacists that will end your life. You know, and nobody wants to die, man. Nobody wants to be a martyr. You know, everybody wants to live to see change. So those are other scare tactics that the system does to prevent groups of people from moving forward. So I'll give you my take on it, right? I think like it's, it's strategic to not have maybe a centralized figurehead. Because mm. like, like you said with Martin Luther King, yes, he was the face but there was a machine behind him that, you know, really kind of got things together and pulled resources and all that other stuff. And so maybe it is wise to not have a centralized facial, you know, face for, for mm -hmm. the movement and keep them guessing like, cause even if you, you cut off this head over here, it's still growing over there. It's still moving over there. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it is smart or maybe the, the, the there was wisdom in the Black Lives Matter movement in that they didn't want it centralized and they wanted it to be you know, widespread. Yeah. I don't know. yeah. No, man, that's a good point, man. I never thought about it like that because, um, because like when you have one leader and say that leader gets taken out, if you don't have what's called succession leadership mm -hmm. and somebody who's ready to step into that role, you know, when that leader dies, the movement dies. Right. It's almost like, you know, you want to have like multiple people who are ready to take it up and then even transition, right? So remember at one time there was, um, this guy, to mess up his name, DeRay McKesson, 
he'd always wear he, he always wears like a blue puffy vest mm. anywhere he goes. Yeah. yeah, and he's still doing his thing. But you know, like when the Trayvon Martin stuff was happening, like he was the face. Like we always saw him on everything. And so now we're seeing a transition where there's another face. And I think it's still I think that's actually good to have multiple people, multiple heads moving at the same time so right. that it never stops and that the people don't lose um, lose faith. Yeah. So so back to the, the J. Cole thing, I think that. Um, uh, we I think what the, the, the whole no name situation, I think, was such a a major misread of what his intentions were and the demon is the, the, the readiness to demonize one another so much because of a gap in understanding. Yeah. It's also something I think we should focus on because J. Cole recognizes he has a platform, right? Yeah. If he was more educated about, you know, the movement, maybe he could use his bully pulpit to get the message out there. Yeah. But now you probably alienated someone that could have been an ally. Yeah. In the movement, because if I was J. Cole, I'd probably be like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to just keep doing my songs and I'm going to be over here, you know, private with my with my kid and my wife. Yeah. I'm not going to get involved. I'll go to the marches. But as far as being a mouthpiece, I'm not going to do it. You know, yeah. I'm just going to you know, keep to myself. But I want to touch on Kendrick, though. I saw a video with Kendrick where he he doesn't talk about and his songs. He does. He talks about controversial topics. But if you talk to him one on one and you ask him what's the solution to change, and he would tell you simplistically that it's love. Yeah. And listen, I love love and I think love is good. <laughs> yeah. But love ain't gonna get the cops knee off my neck. Yeah. yeah. Love is not gonna stop them from shooting me in my back. Right. Obviously, if love was the answer, then it would have been extended a long time ago. So it's like Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe that the, the the answer he gave is so simplistic that I'm overreading it, and I'm 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 trying to make it. I'm, I'm I was hoping maybe I was hoping for something more complex. Oh, right. Yeah, I've a solution. Like, what do you think about that? Like, you know, yeah. it says like, well, let's just love one another. Right. So one thing that I've noticed, man, about rappers is this: is that they're much more profound when they have a beat and they're in the studio. <laughs> versus that when you see them in an interview it's like you know like they're not as articulate I, I hate using the word articulate but they're not as expressive as they are right because the reason why you were expecting more from kendrick in the mm -hmm. answer because you've heard kendrick's albums right like three dope albums consistently and you're like right. in it so you see an interview you want to hear him spitting like you know um uh, Michael Eric Dyson or, you know, one of those right. great philosophers. So I think that everybody has a lane and everybody has, you know, um, everybody has a role to play. And I think sometimes like like the girl no name, I think what um, what happened with her and why she why she prematurely called out J. Cole is that understanding that, yo, Cole has a lane and his lane is with bars and with rapping. And right. the other thing too is that Cole is not a very public person, at least what I've witnessed, but he's going to be out there in the movement. And I go back to Jay-Z, man. Nobody wins when the family feuds. Right. Her, her attack of J. Cole could have been much more effective if she had just hit him on the, on a text or a direct message. Yeah. And to publicly shame him 
And then by in turn, you kind of shamed yourself because I think like when he made the song, she was going to try to do like a comeback. And then she realized like, nah, that's not what's up. This is not what it's about. So, you know, I think, man, I think we need to take rappers into consideration that they are rappers. They are who they are and that they're not, as J. Cole admitted, like, yo, I don't know everything, man. Just I'm human. You know, I'm like you. I'm just trying to figure this stuff out. Same way you trying to figure it out. But I'm for the movement. I'm for whatever happens. Right. And I think her comment, you know, uh, included a lot of assumptions and that you don't know what these guys are doing behind the scene. You don't know where their monies are going to fund, you know, movements or, or initiatives in the background. You know, we, you and I, you know, we, we said we went to a dinner one time and we had with a, with a group of guys and we talked about, there was some argument about the NFL move with Jay-Z and, and all of that or whatever. And, I, and the reason why I'm usually hesitant to just be like, yo, yeah, he shouldn't have done this, he shouldn't have done that. This guy is usually 30 steps ahead of where we are emotionally about something he's done. And he's thinking of the 30th step and we're, we're in the moment of like, well, he shouldn't have done that because it's such a raw feeling around how we feel that Cap should have a job and so forth and so forth. But then when you let it play out, you realize like, whoa, this cat got all these crazy initiatives going off. He's getting, he's billing all these people out. He's getting people freed from prison. He's supplying lawyers for people. He's paying bail and he's doing all this stuff in the background. And that's why I'm like, Sometimes, you know, we, we want more from our so-called leaders, but yet they're already, and they don't necessarily have to subscribe to the way that you do things. Yeah. I think, I think the end game is more important than the path. And I think people need to not get so caught up in the road that's traveled. Right. The nation. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. Like, let, let's be patient, man. Let's see the body of work before Word. we jump to conclusions. Now, like, and I'm all for calling people out. You know, I'm all for saying like, that was whack. Like, um, yeah, like if you're Kanye and you wear a MAGA hat. Yeah, you're whack for that. You know right. what I'm saying? Or like, or even, um, I think man, Virgil Abloh, who's got this multi-million dollar clothing line off-white um, contract with Nike, man, he publicly posted how he gave to some movement $50. And I'm like, bruh, like, Bruh, for real, for real, the amount of money that th this community has invested in your brand, and even if you want to get fifty dollars, that's your money. But I mean, that was that was in poor taste. But he did go back and expound, and he has given a lot more. Yeah, I think it. First of all, I think if you do a good deed, you shouldn't publicize it. First Facts. of all, Facts. If you're doing it because cameras are around or because you're about to get some likes on a post, which will then in turn bring people to the business that you're trying to promote, I think that your 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 intentions are misplaced, first of all. Facts. That, but I think that his experience in that moment will make him more reluctant to be a part of initiatives that can impact us, which is why I'm careful that we don't alienate and demonize people because while they may make poor choices in the moment, I think that their voices, their actions can be so impactive later down the line that you don't wanna, you don't wanna, you know, cut them off so quickly to the point that, you know, they just like, I'm not gonna be involved at all. Yeah. You know? I'd rather have them as an ally. Yeah, you screwed up and yeah, you shouldn't have done that and you shouldn't be posting no $50 donation. You right. just do it. Right. You know, right. You shouldn't screenshot. Why do you screenshot that? Yeah, you know what I'm saying, but I still think that 
us as a people, more than anything, I think we need to like, you know, fall back on how quick we are to demonize our own people. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Like I said, nobody wins when the family feuds, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not, and I'm not a fan of cancel culture either. Like, I'm not a fan of if you do, you, you got to do something real egregious, or if you do, you do something, you make a mistake. That doesn't necessarily mean we need to cancel you. I think that's what we need to correct you. You know right. what I'm saying? To be like, yo, da da da. Like, like, let's take Mr. West, right? Like, multiple times we trying to correct you. I'm almost at the place where I'm like, no, I think I have canceled Kanye West. You know, like, <laughs> you know, I'm so I'm so disappointed, man, and 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 to see like his transition, man, and to where he is now, and to where he used to be, and the fact that I think what bothers me the most is the fact that in his early albums. He talked a lot about the plight of black people and systematic injustice and all that stuff. And to now, you know, it makes me wonder, yo, were you genuine when you were saying that stuff? Like, how did you just flip 180 like that and then just go to this other extreme? I think that that's what plays to pedestal. We put these celebrities on and then when they let us down, we're disappointed. And that's why I'm learning more and more to just be like, look, these guys bleed just like me. They make stupid choices just like me. And in Kanye's case, he hasn't been, I don't want to say this. I was going to say he hasn't been black, but I was going to say that he, he hasn't been connected to the plight in a long time. You're yeah. 20, 30 million, a hundred million, a billion in, your experience is a little different. And he may not necessarily fully appreciate what it's like to be called a nigga anymore. I don't know. And maybe when he gets that reminder, he'll come home. I I don't know. But what I'm saying is I think that he's so he's so far removed. Like I remember when Lil Wayne made the comment about uh, he's never what do you say? He's never experienced racism. Yeah. Racism or some crazy joint. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, he's been rich for since he was 12. Right. So it's like he ain't living amongst us. He's not driving in the neighborhoods. He's being chauffeured everywhere he goes. So he's not experiencing a lot of that stuff. And he has ran into the law and has had experience and been locked up. But when you're in this like tax bracket where you lose a sense of reality, I'm like, yo, bro. That's why I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm not putting nobody on no pedestal. You're fallible. And one day reality will knock you back down a few pegs. And I think that's when you'll be like, all right, yeah, all right, yeah, I'm still probably a nigga. Yeah, man, because um at the end of the day, man, this is this is this is my point is that what hurts me the most is you got to that rise, and I'm gonna use Kanye West. You got to that platform because the very people from the hood right. who are from you may not even have grown up in the hood. Many people from the south side of Chicago mm-hmm. and all over America put their hands on you. You know, they enjoyed your music and they helped push you up to that pedestal. Right. So now to turn around and to say the things that you've said in regards to MAGA and Trump. And I know you're giving money. I see maybe, that. Maybe it was a choice. Yeah. And, you know, stuff like that. It's like, bro, chill, man. Like, you, you have to... You were not, either not on your medication or you a troll. And sometimes I think, I think more than anything, it's marketing. Yeah, yeah. You were you were you were marketing and you were a super troll, man. Like, like that joint is crazy to me. Even when you got white people calling you out, like, dude, 
That's not what's up, man. Slavery was a choice. How are you going to tell me slavery was a choice? Yeah. Yeah, man. He hasn't been right since his mama died. I believe that. Like, yeah. I think that trauma set him on a, on a road and a path that I don't know if he, he can come back from. Hey, somebody else said it. I think it is the Kardashian curse. <laughs> yo, man, I, I, I have I have receipts, yo. Every every man that has been involved with that family, there, I'm gonna name him, man. Reggie Bush, his career ended. Chris Humphreys, his career ended. Lamar, Look at that. Lamar Odom, you know, uh Kanye West, man. It, it, man, even the one dude that was with them turned into a woman. So it's like, <laughs> so yo, man, yo, you wild. <laughs> Once you get wrapped up in that circle, but oh I think, but I think the difference with Kanye too is like, I think when he was with The Rock, he had people that would check him. Yeah, I think he had accountability. Now he's just around yes men and people who agree with everything he says. People that rely on him for for livelihood. Yeah, like somebody need to tell him, bro, your your last few albums were trash, yo. Like, Word. like real trash compared to the other albums you have done in the past. Like, this is just what is this? So, you know, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is, bro. You can't change it. Yeah, man, for sure, for sure, man. Look, man, I we talked about a whole lot today. Yeah, man, we went over an hour. Yo, I want to say to the public, man. Catch us on YouTube, catch us on Facebook, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. You know, my man McDonald, he got his brand Father Fresh store. He's having a sale right now. So you need to pick up, pick up some items, get that, get that good fit, get that good look. What you wearing right now? Is that a, is that a Father Fresh design? It is. It says, you know, basically I, we were talking about love earlier, but it was talking about love your neighbor and it lists out all the different kinds of people that you should love. Basically saying you should love everyone. But um I think in this in this this atmosphere, man, it, it it makes it tough to do, but I guess you still got to do it, right? Yo, you still got to do it, man. Love is the answer, man. Love yourself before you can love anybody else. And Word. I want to let you know if you want to know about more about merch, check out Father Fresh Store, and then check out RaiseYourVoice.Academy. Get yourself the Seven Day Activist T-shirt. Word towards that and many more. We got a whole bunch of designs. But look, man, we love you. We appreciate you. And this is two really dope dudes signing out until next week. Yeah.